Our passage today is found in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 22. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of on the ground and according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is the word for us today. You may be seated. Thank you, John. Good morning. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning as we're continuing our series, as we're kind of going through the book of Genesis and Exodus. We're not going through the book of Genesis and Exodus verse by verse. Instead, what we're doing is we're we're, we're stopping and we're camping on specific individuals. If you were here from our last series in First Peter, you might recall that Peter said that, that God is a master builder and he's building a holy priesthood, a holy temple, a household of God. And he refers to us, followers of Christ, as living stones, as living stones. So what we're doing is we're going back and we're, we're, we're looking at the master builder and how he got started with this whole, this whole project of, of, of creating humanity and redeeming humanity. And that's what we've been doing. So, so let's start off the, uh, the, the message this morning. So what's wrong with the world? That's the first question. That is a question we posed a few weeks back. What's wrong with the world? Followed that, uh, followed that with, what's wrong with me? If you remember from that sermon, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton responded to that question with, I am, I am. So when you think about it, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Well, that presupposes there's a problem. That presupposes there's a problem. Now, in the last week, how many of you have failed at something? Okay. How many of you have been disappointed with yourself? Yeah, I, I, I had this conversation with my wife uh, about a week and a half ago, and then again with Dave Kirk earlier this week. I, I asked my wife, I said, Stace... <sighs> And it's kind of a, a loaded question. I said, there are times you just, you just don't like yourself. 
And she's like, well, yeah, but why do you ask? And I said, I'm, I'm in one of those times. I'm in one of those places right now where I just, I really don't care for myself. I, I, it's, it's not, I, I've always known that I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it seems the older and older I get, the older and older I get, I seem to fail more. And I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true, but I just think I'm more aware of how often I fall short. And I think the longer I follow Christ, and I think the reason for that is uh, the older I get and the longer I, I walk with Jesus, the, the, the more majestic and the holier I see him to be. And I just see the gulf that much wider between my own behavior and, and, and his holiness. So it's not that I'm getting worse. I don't, don't want you to think that. Um, well, maybe. But uh, I don't think so. But I, I don't really care for myself. I, I seem to be f- failing, failing a lot. And um, so the question is, how do we change? How do we change? Last week, last week in, in, in part one of Noah, there we go. They got it for me. Thank you. They fixed it. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. They work hard and they try and they do it and then the technology still doesn't help. So thank you very much. So how do I change? How do I change? How do we change? Last week when we first introduced Noah, um, we, we saw that, that God had made this pronouncement that the inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. That's a big statement. And, and then it says, but Noah, but Noah found favor with God. So the word favor, it's the same word for grace. It's translated grace. So God, uh, he bestowed grace upon Noah. He, he, get, he favored Noah. Now, the means, and this was last week's sermon, the means by which he received that faith or grace is through faith. So Noah had to trust God. He trusted him. So, and, and so we talked about how, how to receive that grace through faith, and that was last week. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ in 1988. That's when I trusted him for the first time, and I've continued to trust him since that time. So I, I entered into a relationship with Christ by grace through faith over 30 years ago. And, and many of you have entered into a relationship with Christ by grace through faith. You're favored by God, not on the basis of your works, not on the basis of your merit, not on the basis of your awesomeness, but because you've trusted him, right? That's what, that's what grace is. That's what faith is. And yet you still fail, right? So here we are. Many of you have not received Christ. And I, I pray that today would be the day you receive that grace by faith. But probably more of you have, and you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ. You trust him sometimes, and then there's times you don't, and there's times you fail, and you look in the mirror, and you're disgusted with yourself, and you don't like yourself, or others don't like you because you failed, and there's that sense of frustration. So this morning, we're looking at faith, failure, and a better promise. There's three things we're going to look at as we look at Noah in chapter 6, mostly, mostly, but we're going to jump ahead and look at a section 8 and section 9 as well. Three things. First of all, the faithfulness of God the faithfulness of God. Second, the faith of Noah, and by implication, our faith as well. And then second, failure. failure. We're going to find that Noah's not perfect. Noah's just like we are. Failure 
and a better covenant. Failure and a better covenant. So let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Let's pray and we will, uh, we will get started. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that uh, sometimes technology fails, but you never fail. Thank you, Lord, that your word will not return void. We pray that you would use your scriptures. Holy Spirit, convict, encourage, strengthen, edify, help me to preach and teach in such a way that Christ is exalted, that he is honored, and that he gets all the glory this morning. Father, for hearts that are discouraged because of their own failure, or maybe the injustice that they've received, or the pain they're in, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. And Father, I pray that you would draw all men and women unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first of all, the faithfulness of God. In the text, it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Last week, we spent a great deal of time talking about how in the world could it get so bad? How in the world could it get so bad? Well, when you have people that are living eight, nine hundred years, and they, they, the inclinations of their heart are only evil all the time, you can get really good at sinning really, really good and efficient at being selfish. So this is the fruition of that. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled, filled with violence. Filled with violence. I know that we look at the world and we say, it's a terrible place and there's so many things wrong. North Liberty is not filled with violence. Coralville, Iowa City is not filled with violence. The United States is not filled with violence. Yes, there are violent acts and there are atrocities, but we haven't reached the point where it's just commonplace for people to be beaten, bloodied on the street just for leaving their home. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted the way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, Just for fun, let's take a look at what I just read and look at the heading that I chose. Faithfulness of God. How many of you find that to be somewhat out of place? That doesn't sound like God is very faithful. It sounds like God is very angry and vengeful. Yes, it does. But what is God's intended purpose for creation? He created humanity and he created this universe to reflect his glory. It's not doing that right now or in this context. He's faithful to his purpose for creation. He he made the world. He chose to give us free will and mankind has chosen to rebel against him. But God is faithful for the purpose for which he designed mankind. God is faithful for the purpose for which he designed this universe. He originally he created and he said, Every day he created and he said, and God said it was good. And after he made man, God said it was very good. He said, this is very good. And then it wasn't. He's faithful to his purpose. He's faithful to his purpose. Now, he's faithful to his purpose. And that requires, that requires that God execute justice. What did he say to Adam and Eve? I'm giving you one prohibition not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And he is faithful to his promise. So every human being 
since Adam and Eve, has chosen, chosen to, to, to rebel against him. And he is faithful. He's faithful to keep his word. The wages of sin is death. He's faithful. Some of you are like, I wish he weren't so faithful. No, actually you do. Actually you do. You don't want a universe where every single entity of free will, their, their inclination is evil only all the time. Do you know, what, do you, there is a place where that, where that exists. You know what, it's called hell. It's called, you don't want that. You want a faithful God who won't tolerate that. I know that looks harsh. It is. It is harsh. It's troubling. So the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He's faithful to his commitment to creation. Now, interestingly enough, this is kind of the, the inverse or a negative image, or the, the opposite of the creation account. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, you, say that, you see that God created the heavens and the earth, and, and the earth was formless and void. And, and then the, on the first day of creation, God separated the waters. He separated the waters. There were the, wa- the firmament, the waters above, and there were the waters below. And he, he brought forth, the uh, separated the dry land from the waters. So that was his act of creation. He, he undid chaos. He brought order to chaos, right? So in, in, the, in the flood, it's the flip. It's the flip side. He brings chaos to order. He, he essentially undoes what he did in, in Genesis chapter 1. He, he brings chaos again to reestablish, to reestablish order. So let's take a look at another aspect of the faithfulness of God. For behold, I will bring the floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is breath of life under heaven, but everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18, key verse, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, your son, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives, with you. I will establish your covenant. This is a major, major word in the Bible. This word covenant appears 284 times in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament. It occurs 27 times in the book of Genesis. Eight times it refers to God's covenant with Noah. He makes a covenant with Noah and he makes a covenant with creation. We'll see that a little bit in chapter 9. 15 different times, he refers to a covenant he makes with Abraham. And the rest of the times, it refers to covenant between two people, like Abraham and Abimelech. So this word is really, really important. This is the first time we see this word in the Bible. It's the first time. So God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, he's faithful to creation, to, 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 to press restart, if you will. But he's also faithful to, faithful to man, in this case, Noah. And, and that faithfulness is demonstrated in the establishment of a covenant. Now, the word establish here, I will establish. That word, the Hebrew word, it, it means to, uh, to stand, to rise up, to set up. 
So some, it, it wasn't there before. God erects it. He places it. He stands it up. He stands up a covenant. He establishes this covenant. And the word covenant, the word covenant means a treaty. It's a compact. It's an agreement between two parties. Sometimes these parties are peers. Sometimes these parties are, are king and vassal. In this case, it's between God and a man. In this case, the man being Noah. The exact relationship to the two parties, it varies according to the context. And we're going to see this throughout, especially when we get to, 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 to Abraham. We're going to see this word covenant appear again and again and again. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the establishment of, of the covenant. Now, who establishes the covenant? What's the text say? God established the covenant. Noah does not come to God and ask for anything. God is, Noah is, he's walking with God, but he doesn't ask. Noah receives, receives, and he's invited to participate in this covenant. God, in his faithfulness, bestows grace or favor upon Noah. He establishes his covenant. Uh, that that covenant is a promise of salvation. Is a promise of salvation. Um, when, when are you most likely, I strike that, when are most people most likely to seek God and pray? When they are in trouble. When they are in trouble. Most people will seek God when they need deliverance. I was at a wrestling meet about three weeks ago, and it was uh, Military Appreciation Week or day, and they, they had uh, uh, Colonel Steve Bannock, former Iowa wrestler who uh, jumped into Af- Afghanistan, fought in uh, multiple combat missions, and he's a highly decorated military person. And so they, asked, they, they gave him the mic between, uh, during the intermission of the wrestling meet, and the first thing out of his mouth was, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that, that in, in combat, there are no atheists. When, there, when your life is in danger, people, people are inclined to call out to God. Now, now, he didn't call out to God just in combat, but, but he, it illustrates the point. He, he obviously knows that, yeah, he knows a lot of individuals and there's no atheists when you're jumping out of a plane to fight the Taliban. Now, after they get back, they might revert back to their atheism, practically speaking. But most people are most likely to call out upon God when they are in trouble. They want to be delivered, saved. And in this case, Noah is being delivered and saved from the imminent wrath that is to come. So what is this salvation? This God's promise of salvation that this covenant entails, it's salvation from Wrath. Now, in Noah's case, we, we don't have to wonder, what is Noah being delivered from? The flood, death, annihilation. He's being saved from the wrath of God, which is going to be poured out upon the earth. He's being delivered. Delivered, saved, same, same, same terms. They're synonymous. He's being saved from wrath. Now, when you think, when most Christians believe and they think about being saved, being saved, that's what they think of. I remember, I'll never forget, uh, I was dating my wife and, and she was a Christian and I was not. We dated for some time and, and she asked me this question. She said, Brooks, are you saved? What? From, from, 
I, 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 I don't understand the question. I, I was not aware that I needed saved from anything. I didn't sense any impending doom. I was a young 21-year-old guy, felt myself to be invincible, had a, a really, uh, really attractive girlfriend who I was in love with, and she was in love with me. I was a part of uh, uh, one of the greatest dynasties in, in, in college, college athletics, saved from from, from, from what? I had no idea. Now, I, I came to learn later that what she was referring to was, are, are you saved in the sense that when you die, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to experience God's wrath? I, I didn't know what she was talking about. Most of you, most of you are aware of that. And so when you think of saved, you think of saved from hell, saved from the penalty of sin, saved from God's wrath. Now, is that right? Absolutely. Is that all? No, no. We're also saved for something. We're saved from something. That's God's wrath. But we're also saved for a purpose. We are saved for significance. If you jump ahead, we won't cover it in detail, but if you jump ahead, you see in in Genesis chapter 9 that after the flood, the waters recede, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Where have you seen that before? Genesis chapter 2. This was the original the original purpose for which man was created is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and magnify and establish my glory. You as my image bearers, I want lots of little image bearers all over the world. And there's a little image bearer right over there. We, I want lots of those image bearers. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to cultivate the earth. And I want you to use your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to bring me glory and to bless other people. That's what we're saved for. Yes, we're saved from wrath. Noah is being delivered from the flood, but he's being saved for the glory of God. And every single one of you If you have trusted in Christ, yes, he wants to deliver you from the penalty of your sin. But he also has saved you for something more. He saved you to make your life significant. He saved you so that your life would matter. He saved you so that your life would count for something. He saved you so that when people see you, they would see his glory. He saved you so that he would use you to exalt himself and to magnify himself. He saved you for something. He saved you for something. So that's the faithfulness of God. That's the faithfulness of God. Now there is a response to that faithfulness and we see this in Noah. For the most part, Noah trusts God. More so than his ancestors, Adam and Eve, he trusts God. So we have the promise made. Let's take a look. The promise. So what is faith? Faith is trusting in a promise. So what is the promise? So we hear in, see in in Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. (laughs) 
make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out. So he, he gives Noah, I will establish a covenant with you, but you got to make an ark. So I, I, I'm, I'm making a covenant with you, but you got to make the ark. So that's the promise. I will deliver you, you, family, your sons, their wives, your wife, and, and all, the, all that's on that ark, I'm going to deliver. I'm going to save. That's the promise. Now, we see in, in verse 22, verse 22, take a look at it. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. So Noah was saved because of his works. No, but did Noah work? It took him a hundred years to build the boat. You better believe he worked, but why did he work? Because he believed, because he trusted. He believed God's promise. Therefore, because he believed that God was going to send a flood, he actually did what God commanded him to do. That did not prove to God that that Noah was righteous, but that established that he was righteous. In other words, you could see his righteousness being played out. And that righteousness was by faith. We also see here in in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, again, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him all that the Lord commanded him. Again, I know we read this a couple weeks ago, but I just want to point this out again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 in the New Testament. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It comes by faith. So God made a promise. Noah believed the promise. Noah believed the promise. And then the promise is then realized. Jump ahead to, to, uh, to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. So what's happened in Genesis chapter 7? Uh, God says it's time to get in. And so Noah gets in. God closes the door behind him. And now the heavens break forth, the, 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 the waters above and the waters from below. Uh, the world was different back then. There was, there was the waters from below. They, they broke up. And so we have 40 days of continual, continual uh, cataclysmic, world-changing flood. And Noah was, was in the ark, in the ark all of this time. And then it says in verse 8, Verse, or chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah. That goes back to the faithfulness of God. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. God made a covenant. God made and established a covenant with Noah. Noah believed him. He took God at his word. And he made this ark. He got in the ark. The world was flooded, and God remembered. God remembered. You see, see, I make promises. 
And I mostly intend to keep them unless I'm just lying. Mostly I keep them. Well, often I keep them, right? But when God makes a promise, he always follows through. And hence, we see verse 1 in chapter 8, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. And the flood waters receded. And then, of course, you know the famous, he sent out the, uh, sent out the, the dove, and the dove didn't return, and then the dove returned, and there was, a, there was an olive branch. There's an olive branch. And so then the ark opens, Noah comes out, and then we have Noah Noah worshiping. We have Noah worshiping. So if you take a look at in chapter 9, and God blessed Noah. Actually, if you back it up, Noah in chapter 8, verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And, and so Noah is worshiping here. Noah is worshiping here. Now we have in, in chapter 9, in chapter 9, we, we see that that uh, the promise is realized and we see the reestablishment, the reestablishment of the covenant that he made with Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And he makes a covenant with them. He says, I will never. Not, and not just them. He makes a covenant with, with Noah, his family. He makes a covenant with the animals. He makes a covenant with the earth. He says, I will never again, I make a covenant with the earth to never destroy it again by flood. He, he makes a covenant, a covenant, a covenant, a covenant. The word is used over and over and over. Verse 9, behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Verse 11, I will establish my covenant that you never again shall see the flesh cut off by the waters of the flood. Verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the clouds. The rainbow is the sign of God's covenant. So every time Noah and every time one of his children and every time any human being thereafter would see a rainbow in the sky, it would, it would be a reminder that God made a promise that God made a promise and that God never breaks his promises. And God made a promise. And Noah believed that promise for a while. For a while. So if we jump ahead, we jump ahead. We don't know how we don't know how many years Passed between Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, and the beginning of verse 20. We see in verse 20 that Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. We don't know what Noah did before the flood, but after the flood, he began to cultivate the soil. He planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk. And lay uncovered. The word uncovered is naked. He gets rip-roaring drunk, three sheets of the wind, and casts off all the sheets. And now he's just laying in his tent completely naked. Now, we're not exactly sure, sure what his, his, his son Canaan does. But, but Canaan comes in and he takes a look at dad. And he, he sees his father's nakedness. 
and he goes and he brings his brothers. So we're, what's going on here? We're not exactly sure. We're not exactly sure, but his, his son shames him. His son shames him and wants his brothers to come take a look at this. And his, and his, his two brothers, they, they, take a, they take a sheet and they, they, they hold it and they, they back up over dad and they put the, uh, they put the sheet down or the, the, the covering down so they don't see his nakedness. Now, how drunk is their father at this moment? Two sons walking backwards over him with a sheet doesn't alert him. He's, he's gone. He's dead to the world now. So they cover him up, and then Noah, uh, uh, when he finally um, comes to his senses and he sobers up, he realizes that his, his younger sh- youngest son has shamed him. Now, some commentators go so far as to say there was some other stuff that's implied here. In other words, what happened in that tent was not just, hey, come look at dad, he's really drunk and naked. I don't know, it's pure speculation, but whatever it was, it was not good. It was not good. So, turns out the flood didn't wash away human sin. It turns out that Noah believed God and trusted him for his salvation, but it turns out that Noah failed too. It turns out that when a person trusts Jesus for their salvation, they still screw up. It turns out that even though the only family on earth that's been saved by God's grace through faith is completely dysfunctional. Now, does that give some of you hope? Some of you here today love Jesus and your families are an utter train wreck. Some of you are utter train wrecks. Some of us look in the mirror and we are frustrated with our inability to get it right. And we can't figure out why, why do we keep failing? I'll tell you why. Is the flood didn't wash away the stain of human sin. You know what the flood did do? It washed the ground. It washed the ground cleanse the ground of the blood of violence. Abel's blood was washed clean from the soil. All of that injustice from Abel all the way until the the floods came was washed clean. But the root cause of all that injustice was not washed clean. The root cause that would cause Cain, that would, that would, that would prompt Cain to, 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 to be envious of his brother and then to kill his brother, that was not washed clean. That still resided in the heart of Noah, resided in the heart of his wife, his sons, and his daughters-in-laws, and his grandchildren after him, and every single person sitting in this room. The The flood demonstrates God's faithfulness and commitment to creation. The ark demonstrates that God is committed to save and redeem mankind. But Noah's failure and the failure of his sons after him demonstrates that the flood didn't take care of the original problem. It didn't take care of the original problem. Noah's dad, Lebek, named Noah and he said, He says, I will call him Noah, for he will bring his people rest. 
Noah's dad was hoping that this is the one. This is the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. This is the one who's going to bring peace. This is the one. It's all going to change after Noah. Everything's going to be different. There's going to be hope. Eh, not so much. It turns out Noah's not different than Adam. It turns out Noah is a great man of faith, but he's not perfect. He's not perfect. So we need a better covenant. He established a covenant. This is the first time in the history of the world a covenant's been established. But it's not good enough. Why isn't it good enough? Because you'll fail. God is faithful, and I have a measure of faith, and many of you have a measure of faith. And yet we still fail. We fail over and over and over again. God establishes a better covenant. 1 Peter chapter 3, we covered this uh, this summer. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but was made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's, by God's patience, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was still being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, that is the entering of the ark, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. God made a promise to Noah. Noah believed the promise and he acted in faith and he was delivered from the flood, but he was not delivered from sin. Jesus Christ came... He is a better Adam. He is a better Noah. He established a new covenant with us through the shedding of his blood. Jesus becomes the ark. And baptism is a picture. Baptism is a picture of the Christian entering into a relationship with Jesus and then entering into the water. And through your union with Christ, you pass through death, burial, and the resurrection. And now you are with Christ. This is a better covenant. It is a, it's like the covenant made with Noah, but it's a better covenant. It's a better covenant. We're going to celebrate communion as the ushers come forward to distribute. I'd just like to read this scripture. Uh, oh, communion here at Grace is, is open communion. That simply means that you don't have to be a member at Grace Community Church. Some churches, you have to be a member. You don't have to be a member here. But it is for people who have entered into that covenant with Christ. It's not for, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, then, then communion is something you should, you should pass up today. But you can, you can trust Jesus today. You can enter into a relationship with Christ today. Simply cry out to him, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Believe upon him and receive his grace by grace through faith. 
and participate in communion. But the scripture says here, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus provided himself for us that we could enter into a new and better covenant. Three things before we go to uh, the song here. God wants to save you from the penalty of your sin. And the new covenant does that. But God wants you also to be saved from sin's power. Sin's power. He wants to give you and will give you a new heart a new heart that desires obedience. He wants to deliver you from sin's penalty. He wants to deliver you from sin's power. And there will come a day someday when Jesus returns or we go to home, be with him, that he will deliver us from sin's presence. God wants to give you a new heart. And all that's required is that you would receive this offer of a new covenant by faith. When Jesus um, instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Um, That's significant. And the reason he does that is because we forget. We forget. We've been saved. If you're in Christ, you've been saved from the wrath of God. And you've been saved for significance. And then you fail. Then you fail and you wake up the next morning after this failure or five seconds after this failure and you, you wonder how I don't, I can't do this. I'm not worthy. And you're, you never were worthy to begin with, but in Christ, in Christ, you have to realize that God has made a covenant. So he says, as often as you do this, do this remembrance of me because I know you're going to forget. I know you're going to forget that I made you a promise and that you might break your promise. I'm not going to break mine. I will never, ever leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. And there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. So yeah, you might not like yourself today, but God loves you. So his body was broken for you. And his blood was shed for you. And he doesn't want you and he doesn't want me to forget. So let's remember. Father, thank you for this bread, which represents the righteousness and the the body of Christ, which he broke, was allowed to be broken for us. Thank you that you have given yourself so freely to us who are undeserving. But Lord, you established your covenant and we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for this this juice which represents the shed blood of Christ and the new covenant, the better covenant. Thank you that you make promises that you can't break because it's never your nature to break promises. Although we are faithless, Lord, you are always faithful. So we receive this bread and we receive this, this juice with grateful and thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Jesus, thank you for being faithful. When we struggle to believe, when we doubt, thank you, Lord. So go with us this week. Help us to remember 
that you are always a covenant-keeping God and that you will never leave and forsake us and give us the strength and the faith to keep believing that we might live for you who died for us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go in grace.